0: Good morning. Yes. You were there, that's good. So, here, if you've got your Bibles, we turn to Acts uh, chapter 16, 17. Sorry, Acts chapter 17. Uh, we're going to be looking at that together uh, this morning. So, our society is one uh, that is becoming, uh, well, it's changing, isn't it? Uh, On the face of things, our society is becoming much more secular. And I know as I stand uh, here this morning, there will be some of you who think that's a good thing. Some of you are glad that we are now in a society that is much more tolerant, that it lets people be, that it just carries on, uh, and people uh, don't have any of the restrictions of previous generations. Some of you, that's a good thing. For others, maybe those of you who are a bit older here this morning, it's a bit more frightening. Gone are the days where, well, the good old days, as you might think they were, where you look back and you, and you want those days again. You're worried about the future, what's going to happen. Or maybe you're in between. Maybe you're a parent of teenagers who, who seem to live in a completely different world to you. And the question that we ask, we can ask this morning, is where does Christianity fit in? Where does Christianity fit into this world? Now, if we were to go and ask people, we would get all sorts of different answers. At best, people would tell us that it was irrelevant. But lots of people would say that it was cruel, that it was backwards, that it is restrictive, that Christianity is bigoted and small-minded. And if we're honest, that's true. Can fit in a society that is ignorant of Christianity, where does it fit in? Well, thankfully, this is nothing new. This is nothing new. It is exactly the same in the first century. In first century Greece, there was also a big ignorance of Christianity and what it was. Unlike us today, they thought they were mega advanced. They thought they knew so much. And here Paul is, is there waiting for others. And we see, don't we, that he is sharing the gospel with them. And as he shares the gospel with them, they call him in verse 18 a babbler. That literally means a seed picker. i mean, sick of a chicken picking, pecking seed off the floor again and again. These advanced Athenians just think he's like a chicken doing nothing better than picking seed off the floor. He's rambling. He's not like them. But still, they take him to the Areopagus Mars Hill uh, for what is likely an interview or a discussion. And here in chapter 17, in these verses, we have a summary of what Paul said. So, this isn't everything that he would have said. This is just a summary. And this morning, I want us to see three things from this summary uh, of Paul's speech at Mars Hill. So, the first point the question is not. If you worship, but what? The question is not if you worship, but what? We need to hear that in our culture today, in a society that appears increasingly secular, every single person worships. The question is what? So here in Athens, we see in verse 16 that it is full of idols. We see also in verse 22 that that Paul tells them that they're very religious or spiritual. There was a joke at the time that it was easier to find an idol in Athens than it was to find a man. But they had so many gods. Here are just a few of them, and whilst we might not name them as this, very similar to today. There was Artemis, who was the goddess of prosperity and money. There was Athena, who was the goddess of wisdom and politics. People who wanted to be smart, who wanted to be wise, they worshipped her. There was Nike long before Trinus. She was the goddess of victory, worshipped by athletes and warriors. Aphrodite was the goddess of sexuality, beauty, fertility. And just in case they missed anyone out in verse 23, we see that they also had an unknown god who was there just in case the question in athens was not if you worshiped but what and that same question is true for us here this morning we are exactly the same we're all worshiping every single one of you here this morning is worshiping something the question is what now you might say to me hang on gareth we're so stupid for two thousand years down the road we're much more sophisticated when you look around all these churches and temples, they're closing down. We don't have idols anymore to bow before. It's no different in reality. We're all wired in that way. Just like the Athenians, we think we're more sophisticated, but we're no different. Our idols might not be carved images in temples. But well, what are our idols? Look at the biggest buildings that you find in Cardiff. Shopping malls. Political buildings, sports stadiums, our idols are exactly the same as this money, power, sport, politics, pleasure, image, beauty. The reality for all of us here this morning is that we're worshipping something. The question is what? So maybe that's you worshipping money or power or sport or image. And that might be going well for you in the short run, but what happens when we put those idols, those gods, under scrutiny? Are your gods working out for you? Or should we ask, what do people who follow your God or people who are your God, what are they like? Do they look satisfied? Think of someone like, I don't know, Donald Trump money has more money than we can begin to imagine does he look satisfied what if your idle security what happens when you're ill or you die what about when you're crushed by injustice what about when your sports team lose and politics sours they offer you nothing what about your family well again one day they will be gone Jim Carrey He was an actor, he was in Sonic the Hedgehog. Uh, For those of you who are a bit older, he was also in uh, Dumb and Dumber, the Truman Show. If you're a bit older than that, don't worry about it. But he was an actor, he was fairly successful and has lots of money. And he said this, I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so they can see that it is not the answer. I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so they can see it is not the answer. He's right, isn't he? Our society worships the wrong things. And maybe that's you this morning, that you're worshipping the wrong things. You're worshipping things that cannot satisfy you. Money, sport, power, sex, beauty, influence, image. They always leave you wanting more. That's why we love social media, isn't it? We buzz when we get a like or somebody follows us. We always want more. The question for us this morning is why would we follow a letdown? Why would you want to follow a letdown? Why would you want to worship something that will ultimately let you down? Because if we're honest, we all fall into that trap, don't we? Even if you're a Christian here this morning, you fall into that trap, I do. It's amazing how quickly I could be taken up with the fortunes of a fifth-tier football club who've been rubbish for however many years. it all happens to all of us. But the truth is, it will never, ever satisfy. It can't give your wants. We're all worshipping and worshipping the wrong things. The first thing, the question is not if you worship, but what. Second point, the fact is that our God is not one of many gods, but is the only God worth worshipping. The fact is, our God is not one of many gods, but he is the only God worth worshipping. We need something or someone who is worth worshipping. We need somebody different, somebody who is not like our idols, somebody who is worth it. And we see that our God is not like all of the other gods. We see in verses 24 and 25 that, our, that we have a problem. Our gods, the gods of our culture, the gods of our age are too small. They're too small. We read that the, our God is the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he gives everyone life and breath and everything else. If you're worshipping the gods of this age, you're settling for too little this morning. You're a teenager, and you're sat here thinking, I "Just, I want to get back to doing this, or I want to get back on my phone." I want to. You're being satisfied by too little, is too small, because the Christian God is greater. He is worth being worshipped because, as we said, he He is He made everything, and He rules heaven and earth. He is upholding everything. Yes, Taylor Swift may well sell out Wembley multiple times. Mr. Beast, I've got no idea who Mr. Beast is, but a family has 116 million followers on YouTube. Marcus Rashford placed in front of 75,000 people every single week. But I tell you this morning that God is greater. And he is greater because he gives life, he sustains life, and there is nobody else who is like him. And because of that, as we read in those two verses, he's not confined to temples. He's not confined to shopping malls or stadiums or YouTube. Our God is much greater. He's much bigger. And those verses told us, didn't it, that he needs nothing. He doesn't need us to subscribe to his channel. He doesn't need us to buy a ticket to his gig. He doesn't need us to chant his name. Because he is unlike our idols. He doesn't need anything. And rather than taking everything from us, our money and whatever else, he gives us life. Our God is the one true influencer. And he influences heaven and earth. And he is bigger than the gods of our society. He rules over all. If you're one of those people who are worried about the state of Wales, how bad it's getting, but if God rules over all, do you think God is worried about the state of Cardiff? Do you think he's worried about what happens on Gabalva? Do you think he's stressed about the culture in our country? He's bigger. He's greater. And verse 26 then reiterates. Tells us again that not only is the creator, but he is ruling over the whole of history. That he, all of the times of history are in his hands. Think of somebody like Joe Biden. President of the United States, powerful man. He doesn't doesn't create people. He did not create the universe. He doesn't rule over all of the days and the times of history. There is only one person who does that, and he is our God. It's remarkable, isn't it? He is greater than everything. But in verse 27, we see something even more amazing. And we read that God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far away from any one of us. This is truly remarkable. Our God wants us to find him. Our God wants us to find him. Because he is the best thing in life. He is better than all of the gods of our age. He is the great God who wants us to find him, and he wants to give himself. Our gods, we get something they take from us. But our God is so great, he is our own reward. Yet he is not far from us. I think as some of those people I mentioned, you can't access them, can you? Missed at least. He might have 116 million followers, but he's stuck behind the screen. Taylor Swift is stuck on a stage. Marcus Rashford is on a football pitch. You can't reach him. He might be able to clap at the end of the game and another win, but he's on the pitch and you're in the stands and he don't have any access to you. Yet yeah, here we're told that our God is near and he wants us to find him. He wants us to find him. So the question for you this morning is will you reach out and find him? What an offer for every single one of you here this morning. Reach out to God and find him. This God who is greater than anything or anyone else in this world says come to me And why should you do that? Well, verse 28, Paul is quoting from one of the Greek poets, and he's making the point that God alone satisfies, that we find fulfillment in him alone. Never thought Jim Carrey was a great theologian, but he's right, isn't he? All of the gods of this earth will not satisfy. But here is the answer. The God who is above all others who satisfies. The God who is not one of many, one who stands alone above all others and is worthy of worshipping. Do you believe that this morning? Christian, do you believe that your God is worthy? He is greater above all things? doesn't even come close. The others aren't even a close second. He is so greater, so much more powerful and wonderful. If you're a Christian here this morning, how is that reflective in your life? When you're in work, how is it reflective that the God is greater when everybody else is? reacting to something that's happened, knowing that you know the great God of the universe and the difference it makes. Christian parents, how are you reflecting to your children that God is better than Toy Story, that he is better than football, that he is better than all of these things? You're in university. How are you reflecting to to your classmates and your lecturers? God is greater. He's more important. There's two other implications that we see uh, in verses 29 through to 31. In 29, we see that if God is this great God who is above all things, in verse 29 says that we cannot reduce him. We cannot reduce him. We live in a culture that is trying to reduce God to the whims of today, to the thoughts of today. Our culture is trying to say that Actually, no, this is what God should be doing. This is what he really says. This is what he's really saying. We're trying to get God, aren't we, to fit in our image, or our society is trying to get a God that fits its image. Trying to, to reduce him to something that is safe and can be held in the hands. But we see, don't we, we see there that though that it, that it is not possible for us To hold God in our hands. He's not like gold or silver. He is not like stone. He can just be like we make him. He isn't made in our image. And if you're somebody here. Who's struggling with that. Know this. Our God is greater. And even when the culture comes. And it says. Sometimes it says good things. Sometimes we have to say we haven't got all this right in the past. When culture comes and we question, how can God say that? Why does he say, that my friend's relationship with another friend is wrong? Because he's God. He's greater than we are. We don't understand always why he says different things and why he does different things. But we cannot reduce him to something that we hold in our own hands because he's too great. The separate, second implication is if, if God alone is worthy, if he's the only God who is great and mighty and is the only one who's worthy of worship, and we've been spending our time following everything else, then there's a problem, isn't there? He is the creator. Our hearts and our whole lives belong to him because he made us. He is the one who set the laws of what is right and what is wrong. When Jesus was asked what the law was, what did he say? Talked about, didn't he, how we need to love the Lord, our God, with our heart and soul and mind. Talked about loving our neighbours as we love ourselves. And if we're honest here this morning, every single one of us has failed. I certainly have. I failed. And we're told, aren't we, There in verse 30, that he commands all people everywhere to repent. You see, God has been remarkably patient. God has been remarkably patient. I'm looking out at you this morning. Most of you I've seen lots of times before. Some of you come here every week. And still you will not submit to the Lord Jesus and ask him to be your savior. He has been incredibly patient with you. Every single week, bringing you where you hear the good news of what his son has done. And he commands you, he says, Listen, I've been so patient with you, repent. He's saying, You need to look at the right God. So repentance means turning around. Look at the right God. A few years ago, we went to the Grand Canyon. Uh, it is an amazing place. Uh, perhaps maybe the only place that I've gone to that has been as big and massive as you expect it to be when, when, when you see it in photographs. It's amazing. And we got to see the, the sunset there one night and the colours are amazing. Every lunch like, sort of two minutes it just looked completely different as everything changed colour. Well, we were there, we were watching. I was doing my thing and taking lots of photographs of everything. Jenna was patiently just waiting by the side. And then suddenly we heard this kerfuffle behind us. So I turn around. There's all these tourists. There must have been about ten. Thought, what's going on? Was there? I don't know. Was there a bear or something? Probably no bears at the Grand Canyon. But anyway, what's there? Turn around. These tourists are all trying to get a photograph of a grey squirrel. Here they were. Here they were. All this glorious view, and they're focused on a squirrel. Imagine missing a Grand Canyon sunset because of a squirrel. I think we'd all agree that would be stupid. But here, following other gods, the gods of this world, is like looking at a grey squirrel. It's time to repent And turn to God because as he said in these verses, as we read, he has set a day when he will judge the world in verse 31 with justice by the man he has appointed. Judgment is coming. And here Paul is telling us that we need to stop looking at squirrels and start looking at the canyon. So if if you're lukewarm here this morning and you're still not deciding, should I be a Christian, should I not? Here's another chance. Repent. If you're backslidden this morning, nobody else here knows where your heart is at. Here is another opportunity for you to come and repent. If you're not a Christian here this morning, here's your opportunity to respond in faith and come and repent. If you're a Christian who's been struggling throughout a week, whatever temptations you face, they're not worth it. Repent, turn back round, and face this great God, because he will not turn you away. So we've seen that the question is not if you worship, but what? We've seen that our God is not just one of many gods. He is the only God who's worthy of our worship. Thirdly, we see that the proof is not in eloquent words, but that Jesus was raised from the dead. The proof is not in eloquent words, but that Jesus was raised from the dead. As I said, judgment is coming. He has set a day when he will judge the world, in verse 31, with justice by the man he has appointed. And he has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. Judgment, you say to me, don't be so stupid. Don't be so naive. Nobody believes that anymore. Well, here, Paul tells us that God has given us proof that judgment is coming. God has given us proof. And it's not in Paul's persuasive argument. It is that God has raised a man from the dead. Who is that man? Well, the man 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ. He'd done many miracles. He was a great teacher. He was no ordinary man. The Bible tells us that he was God himself. Most of you will know that on that, third, on that Friday morning that he was crucified. By the time Sunday came around, there was no one in the tomb. There was nobody in the tomb. And you might be thinking, go through even more crackers. Not only are you telling me about judgment, you're not telling me about resurrection. What's the point, isn't it? This isn't something that happens every day. How many of you have ever seen somebody who's who's risen from the dead? Exactly. So that somebody has risen from the dead is the most important thing in the world. So important. Think of Paul. He was a murderer. He was seeking to stamp out this new religion. He was trying to get rid of all the people who were telling everybody that Jesus had risen. And then he has has an encounter with the risen Christ. And he goes from trying to stop and squeeze out this religion to proclaiming it (coughs) boldly. Think of the other disciples. They were confused, they were fearful. They're They're all done a runner, haven't they? They're all gone. And yet suddenly we see that they're bold, that they're willing to suffer that they are proclaiming that Christ is risen from the dead, whatever the consequences, even to most of them died the most horrific deaths. Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. And the implications of that are huge. Here we see that it is the proof that it sets Jesus apart because he has proved his power over death. He is the only conqueror. He is the ultimate authority and power in the universe because he has overcome death. He has the right to judge because he is the one who has authority over sin and death. This is the proof. You see, this morning, we're not having to deal with an unknown God. You have to deal with the risen Christ who is coming again to judge. He's coming. And he knows everything, not like these idols that are in the temple, wooden and carved. They don't know anything. He is somebody who knows everything. He is coming. He's one who's all-powerful and is all-knowing. He is coming. And here we are on a collision course with our culture. It says you can do whatever you want. You go and worship whatever you want. You go and be whoever you want to be our culture is saying there is one God is worth worshiping and that is proven because Christ is coming again as church Where is our hope? Where is our hope in a message like that? Well we've seen a glimpse haven't we in verse 27 where we see that God wants us to seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him because he is not far away. <laughs> but the truth is it's not just that God is not far away he's not far away because he came near you see church jesus has been to this world before he didn't stay out on the picture on the concert stage or behind the screen he left heaven to come into this world he loved God with his heart and his soul and his mind he loved his neighbor perfectly And the one who was coming, who was coming to judge, the one who was coming to judge, came and took that judgment on himself. God wanted to know us. Do you see the extent that he went to so that he could know us? The wages of sin are death. And God the Son comes into the world and dies and pays the price for sin and rises from the death so that he has defeated sin and death and he is in a category of his own and no one else comes close, that he has taken all of our imperfection and he gives us his perfection so that the judge who is coming to judge says, you can be not guilty. You can be free. And if we're honest this morning, every single one of us here needs that. It is the best news in the world, isn't it? That all of us fail. We all worship the wrong gods. But not only is Jesus the proof that judgment is coming, Jesus is also the proof that he is a God who is worth worshipping because he has paid the price for our sins. What a difference to the gods of this world. What a difference. They don't care about you really, do they? Even if your image is yourself, you just get knotted up in, in reams of guilt and trying to outdo that. He came near to us, not staying on a picture or stage, but came to die rise again. Will you put your trust in Jesus this morning and will you repent? So as we close, culture feels like it is moving on. Where does Christianity fit in? It is needed more than ever. Do you believe that this morning? Do you believe that the only answer to all of society's ills is found in the gospel of Jesus Christ in alone? It is society's only hope. Because as we've seen, the reality is every single person worships. It's just they're worshipping their own things. And our God is greater and he is the only one who is worthy of worship and he will come in judgment. The proof of that is that Jesus rose from the dead. So the question for each of you this morning is what are you going to do with that proof? What are you going to do with the fact that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead? What are you going to do with it? People in Athens faced exactly the same trust we see in the, in the last verses of the chapter. Some mocked. They sneered. Maybe that's you this morning. I think you're clever. Do you think it's all nonsense what your parents believe or what your friends believe? Do you think it's rubbish? How are they so stupid? Dear friend, that's, that's nothing new. What do you think is nothing new? They were thinking it 2000 years ago. <coughs> but others believed. Will you believe this morning? Will you believe? You have the same choice. You are literally going to walk out of this church this morning having made the same choice. Either Jesus rose from the dead and he demands everything from me, or I'm going to stick my head in the sand and pretend it's not happening. What are you going to do with him? You can't just carry on as you were. In my, in my opinion, it is an no brainer. On one hand, you've got gods who don't satisfy, them, gods who don't do what they promise, gods who will let you down. God's who lead the judgment. And on the other hand, you've got the God who's created. The judge who came to rescue us from judgment by taking that judgment for himself so that we could find him and be truly near to him. And one day we'll we'll be so near to him, we'll be with him forever. What will you do with him this morning? My friend, please don't test his patience. He's been so patient with you already. You're here again this morning. Here is another opportunity to turn away from the gods who will give you nothing and come face to face and back to him. Maybe you're a Christian here and you've struggled. You know your life is not where it should be. You know you're involved in all sorts of things you shouldn't be doing. Here is an opportunity to come again. Even when your heart is saying, no, draw back, draw back. Jesus says, no, don't. Come, come to me. I will not turn you away. My friends, what a great God we have who is worthy of all of our worship. Pray that that would be true in our hearts this week. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are not just one God of many that should have our attention. Lord, that you are the one who reigns supreme over heaven and earth. And Father, we pray as we think on these things, that you would work in our hearts, that we would truly see and know, that you are greater than everything else. Forgive us that so often our hearts get taken, our eyes get taken, even as we thought this week in, in home, Lord, how, how distracted we can be. Lord, we pray that you would fix our eyes on Christ, that your spirit would work in our hearts, that this week would be that we would be so consumed by you and your glory and wonder that everything else would pale into insignificance. For not that we wouldn't enjoy the good things that you have given us, but, Father, that we would see them, that they are great gifts from a great God. That because you are so great and worthy of our worship, Father, we see everything in a completely new light. Oh, Lord, we pray for any among us. We know that there are those who have heard this time and time again. We pray, Lord, that you work in their hearts Help them not to put their head in the sand. But Lord, bring them to their senses that they would come to know you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So before we come around the Lord's table, uh, we're going to...